Welcome to the Chase Talks Hip Hop Podcast, and today I have a few topics I want to address. But first off, I want to say happy belated Christmas, uh, happy belated birthday to Jesus, or so they say, pagan holiday, kind of, sort of, but that's a different topic for a different podcast entirely. But anyway, I just want to say happy belated, you know, holiday, whatever it is you're celebrating, happy Hanukkah, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, just have a good time out there and prepare for the new year because 2020 is going to be the shit. I have some plans for my music, my podcast, my YouTube content. I'm constantly working on new stuff. But um, if you haven't heard it, I released my my uh, new my video essay, the DIY generation. It's a it's about how hip hop has um it started out with the do it yourself mentality and how labels really stifled that, and then how it came back in when the internet. It's it was a renaissance I feel with the internet when it came back into play, but. The topic I want to start with today is Andre 3000 and his interview and and uh, see I had listened to it a couple of times and it's a very revealing interview on where Andre is because Andre 3000 and Rick Rubin they sit down to have this conversation I think it was a NPR or it was it was broken record and there was an introduction they talk about Andre's history and everything but when it comes down to it when you have Rick Rubin and Andre 3000, their conversation is the most important thing. So one thing that you can sense from Andre is that he isn't really trying to make music for com- commercial consumption anymore. You can you can kind of see that. And I, I could tell he's open-minded, you know, but he isn't in the space where he wants to do promotion, go on a tour. And they were talking about going on tour and it was one of the more one of the most interesting parts of the podcast. The whole podcast is amazing, by the way. Make sure to go check it out. I'll uh, drop a link below. But Andre, he he talks about going on tour and feeling like you know when you're doing that, you lose your your creativity to write and the feeling of you know he he just didn't want to make the same shit over and over. And how throughout this period of time, he wanted to dress more. He wanted to dress differently, play with this fashion. And he noticed that he was upsetting people, so he kept on doing it. And you get to see the rebellion in Andre as a whole. And I think the rebellion is really what fuels Andre. Because Andre is a rebellious artist by nature. Everything he's done, you know, when people want him to zig, he zags naturally. And I'm, I was surprised though there wasn't really any mention of Big Boy. Because Big Boy is a very... <laughs> I mean, to not bring up the other member of Outkast, it kind of feels weird because... Andre is not the only thing that made those records special, to be completely honest. He was not the only thing that made those records special. It was a mix of the production and Big Boy as well. And, and Big Boy, you know, Big Boy, I mean, come on. like, Are we going to deny his classic verses? Like, on B.O.B., arguably, I think I think he had the better verse. I think Big Boy had the better verse. N- n- controversial opinion number one. Look out. Ooh. Um... But yeah, so shout out to shout out to Big Boy. But you know, with Rick Rubin, they he there there was a specific part where Andre said he doesn't feel confident to put out a solo project and he just feels like the expectation from his fans and all of the the mists surrounding his previous music and his previous disc in his discography can hinder him. And Rick Rubin made a great point when he said, you know, create to create and continuously do such a thing and you'll find something you like. 
And uh, Andre, I, I think he, he 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 went back into the flow of saying that he he, he plays clarinet. And he listens to a lot of instrumental music and he really likes to work on instrumental music more so. And I think that's Andre sort of deflecting in a way, in a way. I'm not saying that he's just avoiding things, but he's kind of deflecting the prospect of wanting to do an album because it it, it just seems like the pressure is so heavy, like for Andre to, to capture lightning in a bottle again. And maybe he, he's not in that place where he wants to do music like that and he doesn't want to be in the public eye again. And the part where he talked about doing laundry and going to a laundromat, you know, just to, I know, get the experience, the quiet and and, and to take in life. It's very interesting like, to, to see how much of an experience driven person he is. And that he said a lot, too, that a lot of new artists, including me, you know, should take into consideration when he talks about go. He, he went he talked about going to hole in the wall venues and talking to bands and bands saying, hey, you know, we're working on getting signed, doing X, Y and Z, you know, to get promoted. And Andre just telling them, hey, you know, keep your sound. Don't try to sound like anyone else. And he said something very great. I, I, don't, I wrote it down right here. He said. You you want to sound like your favorite artist, but in the long run, you really don't. And I think that resonated a lot because we live in this very biter-friendly music world where a lot of people sound alike, and it, it can be hard to differentiate who is who. So Andre saying that I think should be a really a really cool adjustment for people to make, and I think him putting that out there is something great because. Andre has always has always been a champion, I think, of new artists and experimentation. Because when you when you think of Andre three thousand, you think experimentation, and when you think of Outcasts in general, you think experimentation and just their their sound. You know, the Dungeon Family, everything that they were able to pull off. You know, Big Boy, his flow. You know, Big Big Boy. That's it. Did I'm not gonna lie. As a fan, it did kind of bother me that Big Boy wasn't mentioned once by Andre. Or I think they might have talked about it, but it, it didn't make it. You know, I know that that conversation probably went on for 10 hours, but, you know, they're not going to play all of it. And it, like, it just seemed like they were warming up, you know, and to really like, I feel like they should have Joe Rogan that shit just made it three hours uncut, left it at that. But, you know, listening to the podcast, too, you know, in the part where she talks about uh, listening to hieroglyphics with Eminem. That was really cool. Um, and I mean, talking about the lyrics, you know, you really see how much of a hip hop fan he is, a musical fan. And overall, you know, I, I got to say it was really enjoyable. I, I look forward to part two because Rick Rubin, I've seen a couple of his other interviews with uh, Tyler, the creator and Kendrick Lamar. And he the reason Rick Rubin is one of the best producers ever is because he's able to pull something out of artists that I don't think a lot of other producers can. I think he gives them this this canvas and this freedom to do what they want. But Rick Rubin is not exactly about... He, he even says it. He's not in the business of production. He's, he's in the business of reduction. And a lot of times as artists, you know, an artist can, can paint a lot. Put a lot on the canvas. But sometimes you need to reduce it because less is more. And Rick Rubin, I, he's one of those producers, my hats go off to him. He's been in the game for a long time, and there's a lot that people should learn from him, especially on a philosophical level, you know, the way he thinks. And I don't think that there, there's anyone more qualified to talk to Andre than him, you know. And, and I wouldn't mind if Big Boy got in on some of this conversation, too, because Big Boy, 
I well, are right, this is in defense of Big Boy because as a hip hop fan, what bothers me is people really focus on Andre. They focus on Andre, and I get why because you know he's the more um, he, he he's a character. I get it, but so is Big Boy. People forget Big Boy was riding the theme too. You know, he was in the creative flow as well. Maybe he didn't go as far as Andre in the fashion area, but creatively, musically, if you go and listen to Speaker Box, those sounds are ahead of it. their time. You know, like like the trap sounds, everything. If you listen to Stankonia, if you listen to everything, Big Boy's flow is impeccable. Big Boy's flow is amazing. So I have to say that, you know what I mean? People don't give enough love to Big Boy when it comes to this outcast shit. But Outkast is more than Andre 3000. It really is. You know, and I think as hip-hop fans, that's a mistake you can't make. You can't just give love to one member of the group. And it's, it's what happens to Ray, Ray Shemrand or whatever the... However, <laughs> Ray Shemrand. I hope I'm saying that name right. I'm, I'm bad at names sometimes. But overall, it's a really sick interview. And I think that, you know, if you're a fan of Outkast, if you're a fan of Andre, I recommend you go check it out. It's really cool, and let's see. I want to also talk about Takashi Six Nine. So there has been some recent news surrounding Takashi Six Nine about um, just getting out and his release. And this has been a weird topic because it's super cluttered. There's a lot of hearsay to it, but there is an article from Forbes. I'm going to read. I'm going to read it, break it down a little bit. It is written by Brian Rowley, and the title is "Takashi Six Nine Receives Letter from Prosecutors Urging Reduced Sentence." Prosecutors urging reduced sentence. So there we go. Proper. On Wednesday, Brooklyn rapper Takashi Six Nine received a letter from federal prosecutors recommending he get a reduced sentence for his cooperation in the investigation of New York Nine Trade Gangster Bloods in which he was affiliated, Pitchfork reports. Takashi, born Daniel Hernandez, and his Nine Trey associates were arrested in November 2018 on racketeering and firearm charges. The 23-year-old rapper pleaded guilty to nine charges, which could result in 47 years to life in prison. However, Takashi agreed to cooperate with prosecutors, which it was assumed would result in a lighter sentence for the rapper. Although Takashi's sentencing will not happen until December 18th, that assumption seems more plausible in light of the letter he received. Daniel Hernandez provided the government with critical insight into the structure and organization of Nine Trey, identified the gang's key players, and described acts of violence that he personally witnessed or that he heard about from other Nine Trey members. United States Attorney Jeffrey S. Berman wrote to the judge, The final sentencing decision belongs to the judge, but it's likely Takashi will receive time served and will walk free shortly after his sentencing. During a hearing earlier this year, Takashi acknowledged his association with the Nine Trey Bloods and admitted to armed robbery and drug trafficking. According to Complex, 6ix9ine had already begun providing information to law enforcement the night before he was arrested. The rapper publicly distanced himself from Nine Trey last November, and gang member Mel Murder subsequently decided that he needed to be super violated. Authorities tapped Mel Murder's phone and presented this information to Takashi, who then identified Nine Trey members and gave them intel on the structure of the organization. That's the meme right there. During his September testimony, Takashi testified against former associates Anthony Harv Ellison and R. Jeremiah Nuke Mack. He also alleged the rapper Jim Jones was a Nine Trey member and that Cardi B was a member of the Bloods. The explosive testimony earned him the nickname Takashi Snitch 9 and Takashi's hashtag Takashi Snitch 9 became a popular hashtag. 
what else do you see that John did, did he uh who else um they made a couple of memes like TJ Dillashaw got popped you know <laughs> like athletes on steroids they really went crazy with that meme and it's still pretty funny Takashi jeopardized his own safety by outing his former associates, of which prosecutors were mindful in their letter. There is no question that the defendant's life will never be the same because of his cooperation in this case, they wrote. If given a reduced sentence, Takashi will certainly resume a music career that had been steadily gaining traction in the year before his arrest. His debut studio album, Dummy Boy, debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 charts last December, his highest chart position to date. The triumph was temp- the triumph was tempered, however, by his concurrent arrest and imprisonment. In October, Takashi signed a new record deal reportedly worth $10 million with his old label. 10,000 projects for one English album and one Spanish album. Wow, that's pretty interesting. But, yeah, so that's the end of it. But I, I think to put a to put a cap on all of that, it, I mean, it, it does seem like Takashi is going to get a reduced sentence. So if they say two years, he's going to be there for two years. We got to have to think about good behavior. The fact he has already been an informant that is going to help with his release. So it is likely he could be released in 2020. And I did talk about, I had a podcast uh, titled The the Ballad of Takashi 69. And I'm not, I'm not in the area to judge, but it is pretty, <laughs> to me, it's pretty funny because you know, he outed, he, he got, he used them to become famous. And he was surprised when they were doing more. I mean, he shouldn't have been surprised when he, when they were doing morally, morally apprehensive shit, because, you know, they're gang members. He signed on for that. And I'm not saying it's right, but it, it just seems, it's almost comical that, <laughs> I mean, it's almost comical that he wants more privilege. You know, I, that's why I think is is interesting. He wants, he wants a privilege because he he snitched when at the end of the day he shouldn't have been wrapped up with those people when he's not a gangster he's not that kind of dude he's not a killer and I, I think the issue is a lot of these rappers they want to surround themselves with killers and surround themselves with people that they think oh this is the real deal and it ends up backfiring so it, it's crazy you know and I think part of being an artist and when you're in hip-hop is you have to really watch yourself and you have to watch your circle and you have to because your circle your entourage represents you people are going to be say that's Takashi's entourage that's you know um a boogie's entourage that's little Uzi's little Uzi's entourage so people aren't going to hesitate to put you in a box with whatever tomfoolery your friends are doing (laughs) that's a super white sentence I said tomfoolery your friends are doing um I can admit that. I can admit it, people. And on to some other news. So Juice World and Yellow Card. So 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 Juice World and and Yellow Card. I mean, rest in peace, Juice World. God bless his soul. But Yellow Card has been suing him for roughly sixteen million dollars over over I can't remember the song exactly, but it the song that they are talking about does not sound like lucid dreams you know and it's funny because the evidence that yellow card is using <laughs> is that you know juice world listened to yellow card in middle school and kind of felt inspired by that kind of music which is a very loose way you know to, to try to weave the system but i'm going to read a little bit of this article and talk talk a little bit more but 
Before Juice World passed away, the group in question, Yellow Card, filed a $15 million lawsuit against the 20-year-old rapper, 21-year-old rapper. In October, Jared Higgins, more popular... In October, Gerard Higgins, more popularly known as Juice World, was accused of sampling some elements of the band's 06 song Hollywood Died in his breakout song Lucid Dreams. In 2017, after the rapper's tragic and abrupt death, the case was put on hold. However, new reports are that the case will continue posthumously. Jesus. According to court documents obtained by XXL, reps for Yellow Card filed a motion to extend the amount of time given to Juice World. Oh my God. And his co-defendant reps to respond to the complaints filed against them. And my prediction is that everyone in Yellow Card snorted their paychecks because my God, it's so vague because that's a sting sample. That's Sting. Sting sued them because everyone has used that sample. Everyone in hip-hop has fucking sampled Sting. They've sampled two main songs by them. And, alright, but Yellow Card, really? This is, this, they're, they're really, it's a reach. I'm sorry, Yellow Card. You guys are reaching. My God. Uh, reports are that the initial deadline was December 9th and the recently filled court papers are requesting that the due date be postponed to February 4th, 2020. After the suit was filed in October, Richard Bush, the legal representative for Yellow Card Band members Pete Mosley, Ryan Say, Ryan Key, Sean Wellman Mackin, and Longingu Parson, don't ask me how I said that, said that Lucid Dreams was a blatant copy of his client's 06 song, according to Digital Music News. Alright, so my question is this, if Lucid Dreams sampled <laughs> Sting, does that mean that Yellow Card ripped off Sting? I, it, I'm just think about it. I mean, if that is the main melody used, as alleged, as alleged in the complaint, this is not just a generic emo rap song, but it is a blatant copy of the significant original compositional elements of Hollywood died in several aspects. Bush told DMN. God, these lawyers are good nowadays. He later told the publication that the case was on hold following the rapper's untimely death. We're still digesting the news, he said. Now that the lawsuit was resumed... Yeah, they're vultures, my God. Now that the lawsuit has resumed, all the remaining parties will face litigation for the alleged copyright infringement. It will, however, be difficult to prove that Juice World, who was only eight years old when the song Hollywood Died came out in 2006, knew about the song before he wrote his 2017 hit, Reaching. However, Juice World was not the only party listed in the lawsuit filed by Bush in October. Among the defendants are record producer Taz Taylor, Cobalt Music Publishing, 19-year-old songwriter and producer behind the smash hit Nick Mira, and the labels behind Juice World, Grade A Productions, LLC, and Interscope Productions. Yellow Card and their legal team are suing Juice World and co-defendants for $15 million. The song Lucid Dream went six times platinum, peaking at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and went number one on the U.S. Billboard R&B and Hip Hop chart. So it's clear to say that they just want to make that money real quick and run, you know, because my God, they must be running out. They must be running out. I don't get how Yellow Card is going to try to connect those things together. Um... Seems pretty silly to me. It just it is incredibly silly, and I hope they don't get a single dime from the estate because he already paid Sting a shitload of money, and rightfully so, because that's Sting's sample. So if Yellow Card is saying it's a blatant ripoff of their record, did they blatantly rip off Sting? 
huh, maybe Sting should sue Yellow Card and bring things full circle, eh? But I want to talk now a little bit about um, the death of Capital Steez. And the death of Capital Steez, you know, um, if you don't know, Capital Steez was a beloved member of the pro-era group Beast Coast. You know, he's associated with uh, Joey Badass, Nick Caution, um, CJ Fly, uh, that, that whole crew. And his death, um, his death to me is one of the most tragic deaths ever, especially in hip hop, because on December 24th, 2012, he committed suicide. Um, and, you know, he, um, I just want to take some time to remember him because he really was a, an artist that had so much potential. He had, he had so much, uh, to give and he didn't really get the chance to give, to give what he, I don't think he had the chance to to really grow into the legend he could have been, but he clearly was really good at what he did, and the music speaks for itself. So I'm gonna drop a link to to one of his projects down below, and I let me let me check the title. Uh, the album it's not King's Capital, but it, it's no wait, hold up, it's yeah, American Corruption. I want to drop American Corruption. The the link down below. It's a really good project. I want you guys to listen. And I just want to remember him because, you know, Capital, when I listened to Survival Tactics off 1999, Joey Badass's Joey Badass's debut project, what I love about 1999 was just how raw it was. And Capital Steez, his verse was just so good. Uh, I mean, I got to pull it up real quick. I have to pull up this verse. It's too good. Um, like, like to me, he he definitely bodied the record. You know, Joey did his thing as well, but Capital Steez, his lyricism was very off kilter and different, and you could tell he was really aiming for some uh, just, just a unique sound. He wasn't trying to, I don't know, like he, you could tell like this was a time where people were being more com- where rappers were, were becoming more comfortable to you know throw new references out. So Capital Steez was really his verse was my favorite. So. It's like six million ways to die, so choose one. Doomsday, come and start investing in a few guns. New gats, booby traps, and bazooka straps. Better play your cards right, no booster packs. Everybody claimed they used to rap, but these ain't even punchlines no more. I'm abusing tracks, leaving instrumentals blue and black. I'm in Marty McFly mode, so tell them that the future's back. Riding on hoverboards, wiping out motherboards. Stop spitting fire, cause my motherfucking lung is scorched. King Arthur when he swung his sword. A King Arthur, I ain't even using a pen in like a month or four i had a hard time writing lyrics now i'm way overhead science fiction you can try and get it my man i'm flyest with it wouldn't mind a feint of interest for your finest interest they say hard work pays off what <laughs> will tell the base guy don't quit his day job don't disrespect little b uh <laughs> no no um but Tell the bass guy don't quit his day job Cause P.E. is about to take off with protons and electrons Homie, that's an A-bomb Fucking ridiculous Finger to the president screaming fuck censorship If Obama got that president election And then, then, then P.E. boy is about to make an intervention 
intervention fuck what i said once i want to i want the bloodshed because nowadays for respect you gotta pump lead i guess columbine was listening to shaka khan and pokemon wasn't getting recognized at comic-con it's like we've been content with losing and half our students falling victim to the institution jobs are scarce since scientific revolution and little kids are shooting uzis who's shooting uzis because it's given to them little weapon code name smith and wesson and he'll be quick to catch a bullet like an interception if your man's trying to disrespect it send a message and it's over in a millisecond so that verse to me is one of the best verse verses ever wrapped in hip-hop history um the delivery is incredible and and yeah just rest in peace capital man um one of the best mcs to ever do it you know and he he's a staple in the beast coast movement and we gotta, you know, remember him. You know, he, he was a great artist, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep on mentioning him on the podcast. So, so, yeah, and I'm gonna make sure to check out the link down below and listen to American Corruption. There's a lot of good food for thought in there. Um, but I'll talk. I guess I'll talk about the. This is one thing I really don't care too much for the Nick Cannon versus Eminem stuff. Um, and and this is funny because Eminem. If you don't know, he did his track with Fat Joe, Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, and he he mentions the Mariah Carey, Nick Cannon, and it's for me this this is such a dead horse that's been beaten. I didn't want to hear about it. So Eminem brings up this beef again, and Nick Cannon responds. He does this posse track with you know people from Wildin' Out, and he said you were sucking on a chauffeur's cock, and then you paid off uh, to hide the tape. So who's really the ops? And then Eminem responded on Twitter saying, I've never had a chauffeur, you bougie fuck. And, and just, for, for me, this beef is really kind of, in, it's interesting to me. You know, the, the beef is interesting because I, and it's not interesting because it's like these dudes, them dissing and going at each other, I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't get it anymore. Aren't they bored at this point? What more can they say to each other? You know, I, I do admit it's kind of entertaining. It kind of is, but it doesn't do shit for me because you know, oh, Eminem's gay, ha ha ha, that's funny. Or what? What are? How are they gonna diss each other? You know, we already know Eminem is one of the best rappers, and you 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 you're trying to rap against him. This doesn't make sense. You know, if Eminem went on Wild and Out, I wouldn't mind that. That'd be an interesting episode, but I don't think it's gonna go that far. So this whole entire Eminem Nick Cannon stuff, I kind of can't wait for it to end. You know, because I don't want to see Eminem beef anymore. It's kind of ridiculous, and you know, I, I might do a podcast and just say I think Eminem is is gay. You know, I think Eminem is gay, and I have a lot of effort, evidence pointing towards that. And it's no way dissing Eminem. I'm just saying the dude. If you go and watch. You know, I was I was talking to my girlfriend about this. If you go and watch the interview, and he in the first scene, he he says he is gay, and I think people just took that. Oh, his sense of humor is so good. Yeah, but then, then when you look at more evidence, the more stuff that keeps showing up, and I don't think Nick Cannon's line is evidence. I think that's just hearsay, him talking shit clearly. But there's plenty of other evidence that could point towards that, and and this is not me judging. It it just feels like. I don't know, it just feels like Eminem came up in an era where they he was told he might have had to hide that shit because it wasn't as open-minded as it is now for someone like Frank Ocean, you know, like someone like Frank Ocean, you know, he can put out music and people can 
not think about his sexuality and hip hop it really there are a lot of listen hip hop has a lot of issues as far as you know when it comes to accepting gay people in the culture but I do think Eminem is and I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all I, I just think it's it's crazy how it's 2020 and and fans aren't picking up on it I mean he, he's dropped a lot of hints you know <laughs> listen to his music his lyrics I know that there there's lyrics should be taken with the grain of salt yes i know but i don't know like i might have to talk about that later on but i mean that's just my opinion what do you think and i want to talk a little bit about tom mcdonald tom mcdonald he's this uh white dude who's been rapping and it's pretty interesting he's an interesting dude because he's really taken the political the political correctness era, the, the cancel culture era, and he's using it to his advantage. And he does say a lot of real shit. And he says things I disagree with, but he does say a lot of interesting stuff. And one record, I just want to, I, I checked out this video for the song called Sad Rappers. And it really made an interesting point about him saying, where did all these sad rappers come from? And I just want to talk about this and say, you know, there's this really interesting video by Sneeko called Depression is Not a Meme. And he's he's a really good YouTuber. And he talks about how depression has become marketable. And it's weird because there's been this huge, in, like, this insurgence of just sad rappers and, and sad emo style hip-hop. And there's nothing wrong with it. Also, we have to think how much of this is really just fake you know because there is a level to it you know there was that some soundcloud rapper who was pretending to pop a pill on social media pretending to to fake it's just interesting you know what the lengths that people are willing to go you know to to be marketable to a fan base and i don't think a lot of artists have control when you even little zan that video where he talks about you know his label controlling him how he can't even drive his car I, this is a dark industry, guys. This hip hop is super dark. So Tom McDonald, he is speaking on a lot of harsh, dark truth at points. And the reality is, a lot of these sad rappers aren't sad. They're definitely trying to feed off of a fan base. And uh, the one one other record was a uh, fake fans. Fake fans was really interesting. And one thing I do admire about Tom McDonald is he does give me that early slim shady vibe. Uh, he, the way he can he can make fun of himself, make fun of people. He does it very tastefully, and it's interesting. But I, what is the other record he has? I gotta double check. He has a lot of music out, but it's not straight white male. It's it's specifically where he talks about political correctness. But I I think. We need different artists to push different boundaries and to push different buttons and to start conversations. And oh yeah, shout out to my friend Malik. He did show me the video, um, like the, saying they're gonna kill me. Yeah, the the song for the 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 song they're gonna kill me. And that one is interesting because I do I do have conversations and I do I do think about these conspiracy theories in hip hop about. You know, um, I I did talk about the infamous uh, meeting, you know, between the prison industry and the music industry, but I mean, I I do think it's possible that you know there there could be contract killers out there, you know, that could that labels might have, you know, I I mean, 
just putting it out there, the music industry is incredibly shady. And, you know, I, I was watching this video too with Blueface where he was, um, he had a real moment. He said, man, I'm just really tired. I'm, I can't really do much of what, I can't really do anything I want. And I can't um, just live my life as I normally would. So in a lot of ways, you know, mu the music industry can be a prison in a sense. So hip hop, hip hop to me, we we need artists that are willing to speak their truth. And if you agree, disagree, okay. But I, I like Tom McDonald. I think he's pretty interesting. And I think that people should check him out. It's an interesting cat. And yeah. You know, I I definitely I'm gonna talk more on Juice World's death eventually. I think I'm gonna save it for a video essay. I'm working on loads and loads of content, so yeah, just keep on listening. I appreciate the support. I think I'm gonna kill the newsletter and just keep it simple with social media because I don't think the, the people I don't want to bombard emails. You know, I just if you catch it on social media, you see the link. That's easier. And I'm just focusing to you know I I want to make the best music, the best video content. Uh, more music videos uh, expect expect a lot I'm trying to drop like some high quality music videos next year high quality content um, new gear new cameras all of the above visual element I have my new YouTube channel so it's going to be on and popping so 2020 I have some goals goals mapped out you know what I plan on doing people want to interview and yeah, I just want to say thank you guys. You know, it's it's been, I see, I started December 2017 and it is December 2019. So that's two years of podcasting, just, just getting my feet wet. And this is number 160. So yeah, just thank you for listening. You know, it means, it means the world to me. I, I think this year has been basically me trying to figure out how am I going to do this? You know, what? how much is too much content? Because I was dropping so much short form content that I felt like I was watering down my, uh, you know, j just my ideas. I felt like I was becoming more watered down and I wasn't sitting with things long enough. But now that I have, um, th there's some time for me to sit and think, write things out and uh, put things together. I, I can make much better content, much more thought provoking, much more listenable content. And that's the goal. I'm just trying to get better at this. I'm I'm trying to get better at every facet of hip hop, whether it's the journalism side, pop podcasting, the music. You know, I love every aspect of hip hop, and that's something that is something I can't deny. I love the shit, and I'm just happy you guys listened. You know, I know I don't have a huge base right now, but it's it's gonna grow, and I know 2020 is gonna be the year that things snap. I know it. You know, things are gonna snap into place much easier, and everything's gonna fall in line that I need it to. And the people who listen, you know, you guys really make this special. So I just want to take this moment to say thank you guys. I'm going to make sure to give you guys some love on social media. I appreciate you all. Thank you. I love you guys. And keep on rocking in the free world. Peace. Twenty twenty.
2020 is mine, these rappers are assed out Fake swallowing pills, pretending to pass out 2020 is mine, these rappers are assed out Looking in the mirror inside of the glass house 2020 is mine, the industry cashed out Running out of options, they're going to bow down 2020 is mine, I don't know what to say Middle finger in the sky, I'ma live my way 2020 is mine, I'm gonna go lash out Message these snakes, thinking I'm cash cow Hide behind the scenes like you're living in Moscow Coming up shorter than the top of my dial I'm mad now, the padlock started cracking Open up minds, given what the game has been lacking 2020 is mine, fools are ready for action Lined up my goals, 2019 is my practice Big game time, open seat out the attic I guess I had to unleash the fabric Pull out the automatic and take my place Anyway, where was I? 2020 is mine, these rappers are assed out Fake swallowing pills, pretending to pass out 2020 is mine, these rappers are assed out Looking at the mirror inside of the glass house 2020 is mine, the industry cashed out Running out of options, we're going to bow down 2020 is mine, I don't know what to say Fuck it